It's 6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, October 3rd, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. The California Hydrogen Coalition is saying that if California wants to achieve its goal of having all new cars sold in the state be zero emission by 2035, hydrogen vehicles need to be involved. The California report has the details. Then, after a look at local news and weather, hydrogeologist Steve Baker talks with KVMR's Paul Emery about the water-related contributions of late United States Senator Dianne Feinstein. That's all before a commentary by Mark Cunaberti. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez at NPR West in Culver City today. Governor Gavin Newsom is defending his decision to appoint Emily's List President LaFonza Butler to Dianne Feinstein's open Senate seat, which potentially upends the ongoing campaigns for that position in next year's election. Butler is expected to be sworn in in the Capitol today. KQED's Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez has more about Newsom's decision. Her appointment fulfills his promise to appoint a black woman, but disappoints those who hoped he'd pick Oakland Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who was one of the three people running for the seat. Newsom backed away from his early claims that he would choose an interim senator who sits out the race. Well, I, I wouldn't have appointed someone I didn't respect and admire and someone I couldn't back up and vouch for, so she'll make that decision. Butler will be the first out lesbian black woman in the Senate. She's moving back to California from Maryland for the job. For the California Report, I'm Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez in San Francisco. California water regulators have released support plans for the Bay Delta watershed, which experts say faces an ecological crisis. But CalMatters water reporter Rachel Becker says this doesn't mean final solutions are in sight. California's water regulators unveiled a very long menu of options last week, almost 6,000 pages, outlining a number of possible rescue plans for a massive part of the Bay Delta watershed. Some of the alternatives that the state weighs call for more water to remain in rivers and streams and flow out of the delta. Another is a controversial pact that the Newsom administration struck with major water providers to voluntarily surrender some water and restore habitat in the region. The Bay Delta watershed is this critically important part of California's water system. It's vital to the fishing industry and to threatened and endangered native fish species. It's where state and federal pumps move water from Northern California reservoirs south, and it's going to likely be years before any plan goes into action. That's Cal Matters reporter Rachel Becker. All right, let's turn to transportation. If I ask you to think about cleaner and greener alternatives to gas-powered cars and trucks being driven on California's roads and freeways, I bet electric vehicles come immediately to mind, right? After all, the state has long had generous rebate programs to promote EV sales, and electric vehicles now make up about 25% of all new cars and trucks sold in the state. But there is an alternative. Hydrogen gives all of us a choice to combat climate change with zero emission vehicles that fit our needs and have the features we like. It's time for California to invest in building more hydrogen fuel stations so we have a choice in our zero emission future. 
That's a video from the California Hydrogen Coalition, an industry trade group which promotes the adoption of fuel cell vehicles powered by hydrogen. Their only emission from the tailpipe, a few drops of water. Teresa Cook is the coalition's executive director. She says if California wants to achieve its goal of having all new cars sold in the state be zero emission by the year 2035, hydrogen vehicles have got to be part of the mix. Fuel cell vehicles aren't competing with battery electric vehicles. We're competing to replace gasoline and inter internal combustion engine vehicles. Unlike electric vehicles, which when plugged in can take several hours to fully charge, drivers of hydrogen fuel cell cars and trucks pull into hydrogen fueling stations where they can fill their tanks in a few minutes. Cook says that's appealing to a big number of California drivers who want a zero emission vehicle, but are put off by EV charging times and range anxiety. And so we need that quick refueling time that fuel cell electric vehicles offer. That three to five minutes at the existing gasoline stations, you're pumping hydrogen instead of gas, and you're on your way for another 300 to 400 miles. And hydrogen vehicle supporters in California just got good legislative news. With the passage of a bill in Sacramento to provide over $100 million in funding to build new hydrogen fueling stations. The ultimate goal? A network of a thousand such stations across the state. But critics say that's a taxpayer-funded pipe dream, largely because of the growing dominance and falling costs of electric vehicles. Ethan Elkind studies transportation and environmental issues at UC Berkeley. You know, similar to how video killed the radio star, I would say batteries killed the hydrogen star. Uh, which is that batteries have gotten so cheap, so ubiquitous, so easy to refuel, mass produced, and it's really just taken over the market for on-road transportation. Critics like Elkind say hydrogen vehicle boosters have already spent years trying to promote hydrogen vehicles and fueling stations for California, most notably former Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Here he is speaking in 2009. And the state of California has also invested $24 million since I've come into office, invested in our hydrogen future. Automakers from around the world are now choosing California as the place uh, to roll out the fuel cell vehicles to our consumers. But 14 years after Schwarzenegger spoke those words, less than 1% of zero-emission cars and trucks on the state's roads are hydrogen-powered. And there are only two hydrogen car models even available for consumers to buy, the Toyota Mirai and Hyundai Nexo. Ethan Elkind says state legislators and Governor Newsom should be more skeptical before committing additional public money to building hydrogen stations. Rather than having it be a sort of political sausage making about which industry gets their favorite technology. I'd rather have it be given over to the energy agencies in California to make a decision based on the evidence about where state public resources should go in terms of investing in hydrogen versus battery electric. When I asked Teresa Cook of the California Hydrogen Coalition if her group might be overselling the potential of hydrogen vehicles and the need for a network of fueling stations, her response is blunt. You are wrong. I don't think that we have enough zero emission vehicles on the road as it is to make that determination, Saul. So yes, we have these beautiful, beautiful vehicles that are being offered, but without the infrastructure available to support them, nobody's going to be able to get into these vehicles. Ultimately, though, the decision is up to motorists and whether they want their next vehicle to be hydrogen powered. 
Support for the California Report comes from Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com slash CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. The Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved children and youth. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that is the California Report for Tuesday, October 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez at NPR West in Culver City. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, UBANET reports that fire restrictions on the Tahoe National Forest have been lifted, effective as of October 2nd, 2023. Why? Well, above average fuel moisture levels and favorable weather conditions minimize fire danger, but the lifting of these restrictions only applies to national forest lands on the Tahoe National Forest. And Tahoe National Forest Fire Management Officer Kyle Jacobson said, quote, Despite the end of fire restrictions, the risk of wildfire is always present. We ask those wishing to have a campfire in the forest to do so safely and responsibly. So how can you ensure that your campfire is considered safe and responsible? There are a few basic guidelines to follow that can help to answer that question. First, you must have a valid California campfire permit if you're constructing a campfire outside of a designated developed recreation area. When your campfire is established, you should attend it at all times, clearing all flammable material away from the fire at a minimum of 5 feet in all directions. You should be sure never to build your fire on a windy day, and when you're ready to leave, always make sure that your campfire is completely out. Drown it with water and stir with dirt, making sure all burn materials are extinguished. You can even feel it with your hand to ensure that it's out cold. And a reminder, even when campfires are permitted, the use of fireworks and all other pyrotechnic devices are always illegal on federal lands. Campfire permits are free and are available at U.S. Forest Service, Bureau of Land Management, or CAL FIRE offices, or online at www.readyforwildfire.org. And keeping with the theme of wildfire, tonight at 6.30, the Nevada City Council will request public input on the topic of wildfire risk mitigation and on a potential tax measure to fund critically needed actions to reduce the threat of wildfire in the city. The council will hear previous recommendations on the Nevada City Fire Safety Advisory Committee, evaluate the goals and objectives of the fire initiative that are within the city council adopted strategic plan, and review the unfunded fuels mitigation expenses identified in the city's capital improvement program. Using all this information and input from community stakeholders, they'll then consider if a tax would be an appropriate source of funding to address the needs and if so, how the tax might be constructed and presented for consideration of the voters. This meeting is strictly for input and discussion. Any action on a potential tax would be taken at a future city council meeting. The meeting will take place tonight at 6.30 at City Hall. That's 317 Broad Street in Nevada City. The agenda and packet for the meeting will be posted on the city's website and will be available at City Hall for review. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley in Nevada City, tonight mostly clear with a low around 56, Wednesday sunny with a high near 81, Wednesday night clear with a low around 58. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight areas of freezing fog after 3 a.m., mostly clear with a low around 36. Wednesday areas of freezing fog before 11 a.m., sunny with a high near 66. Wednesday night clear with a low around 36. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, Tonight, clear with a low around 58. 
Wednesday, sunny with a high near 88. Wednesday night, clear with a low around 61. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Laws and regulations play an imperative role in the accessibility and functions of water throughout California, as well as in the whole of the United States. Coming up, KVMR's Paul Emery speaks with hydrogeologist Steve Baker about the several contributions that Dianne Feinstein made to the water world during her time as United States Senator. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Well, it's time for Water News with Steve Baker and uh, Water News after a nice weekend of rain, Steve. Oh, and that felt good. Yeah. You know, we just recently lost uh, Diane Feinstein, who was quite mm-hmm. a leader in the water world. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about her. I mean, she has a long long history, obviously, uh, both in water, but also in many other things. Uh, think, think back to some of the seriously uh, difficult fights, water fights we've had. Uh, go, let's go back to 2009. There was that uh, new Endangered Species Act that there were some changes that were being enforced in, in the Central Valley. And as everyone might remember, there was the Delta smelt versus those that grow our food. Okay, it was a big deal. National news. And it, it became apparent at that time that the environment trumped the most senior water rights, and that didn't go very well. So that was the the uh, the difficulty was was really there. And so Senator uh, Diane Feinstein, she jumped jumped right into the situation. She paid attention to the ag interests, which irritated some, and uh, certainly was okay with the agricultural community. And at the same time, the municipal leaders, they were pushing back, like San Francisco, you know, their water, you know, they have to share. They, they need to know that there's certainty to their water supply. She, she listened to understand is what it looked like, uh, both the Republican concerns, the farmers, the farming communities, and, but also the more liberal needs, uh, the municipal water users. And, of course, they need certainty to make sure that those in the cities have enough water to, to live. I think... Uh, Everyone needed that certainty, uh, and it had to somehow come from the Delta. And so she was focused on decisions that tried to bring together what was needed in our farmlands to grow our food, but at the same time, the municipalities. She was also very, very successful. Her contributions to establishing Joshua Tree, Death Valley as national parks, that came through her. So that was, it's, it's known as the Mojave National Preserve. So that's uh, a big thing that she did that all of us can be thankful for. And then uh, the senator also crafted a large bill like the 2000 or 20116. It's um, the WIN Act that encouraged water agencies to increase their deliveries from the Delta. That was like a major, major big thing in the water world. So really, you know, I'm barely scratching the surface as to what she accomplished uh, in, within the water uh, realms. But she's, she will be missed, and, and I'm hoping that uh, somehow uh, those shoes can be uh, fit into and, and maybe even better. 
I think you have to be careful about using the word Trump in this context. <laughs> Trump, this is our, true. our water rights <laughs> might have a different meaning to some people. Okay, Steve, uh, who's replacing uh, Diane Feinstein? Well, you know, I literally I just happened to find out it's Lafonza Butler, who's known really as a labor leader and, and advocate. So we will see how that uh, transforms into the decision making in the last months and in whatever period of time is left over. But really, you know, this is something that Governor Newsom had to make a choice on. And and the farmers have been crossing their fingers and hoping and wanting to have someone who is friendly to the agricultural communities. And uh, Joe Del Bosque, who I've actually gotten to know, he's a Central Valley farmer. He was thinking of someone else. He was thinking of uh, Senator Anna Caballero because she, he feels that uh, she's a very fair person with lots of experience. So I, I think most people were looking for fair and good experience in water. So we will just um, wait and see how this whole thing rolls out with uh, Lafonza Butler. These water decisions are not taken lightly, Steve. Uh, I would imagine they have long-range impacts, both good and bad. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. Large, uh, broadly impacting water decisions involve two things primarily, politics and uncertainty here in California. Regarding the politics, we're talking about decisions that influence a lot of money and an enormous level of public angst if those decisions are not palatable. Okay, so... So you, you, have to, you have to be very good politically because you're balancing on the pyramid of powers, the local, the regional, the state, and the federal, all at the same time. All of these levels come into play. Regarding uncertainty, well, California has the greatest uncertainty in weather from one year to the next as compared to all the other states in the lower 48th. So we're very unique in that way, which makes it very difficult for water managers. So that being said, you know, we're... We're also being impacted by climate changes that appear to be in the process of increasing those extreme weather patterns that we've historically dealt with, both in the dry and also the very wet. Frequencies are changing, becoming more frequent, and these extreme, uh, these intensities are becoming more, in, it's, it's just getting nastier out there. So what kind of local message uh, can you bring from uh, what we've been talking about today? You know, I'd, I'd speak to the, uh, I'm speaking to the young adults here. Uh, the young folks, you're needed. You really are needed to be leaders in our water future. So uh, don't take it lightly. It's very serious. If you have the desire to be a leader within in the communities, uh, small communities, large communities, it doesn't matter. You know, think about it from now and get involved from now. Connect with people who uh, who can help you out in that fashion. The the best the best results for all you young folks is to come from a place of listening to understand, not just peddling your own opinion. Listen to understand everyone and then have an ability to find the balance in needs and also in the protections for the environment. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of an art form also based on facts. So I'm, I'm really encouraging young folks to look into that. And, uh, and, and I would love to talk to you if you want to have a chat about it and maybe give you some direction. Thank you, Steve. Oh, you're Thank welcome. Hopefully we'll keep getting a little bit of rain. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's guaranteed. It did really match the mood of the Celtic Festival quite a bit because Ireland is, of course, noted for its rain. <laughs> Thank you very much. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation 
with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. As of recently, the Federal Reserve has increased interest rates to above 5% in an effort to address inflation. Up next, Mark Cunaberti reflects on similar rates of the past and speculates on what those outcomes may mean for us today. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Rates on short-term U.S. investments like CDs, savings accounts, T-bills, notes, and other instruments insured by the good faith and credit of the U.S. government are the highest they have been in a long time. When I was a boy, and much of the time when I was growing up, interest rates hovered around 6%. Those pushing into retirement age might remember that number, but you newbies out there will likely scratch your head and say, Really? Yes, really. Since the debt levels of all types have reached astronomical levels in recent decades, and a number of financial calamities have occurred also in that same time frame, interest rates have stayed around near 0 to 1%. It is only recently to address inflation. The Federal Reserve has increased rates to above 5%. Although these higher rates wreak havoc on those that depend on various forms of credit to negotiate their expenses, investors looking for yield are happily flocking to bank products like savings and CDs and the more sophisticated or unfamiliar T-bills and T-notes. With rates on three-month, six-month, and one-year products sitting north of 5% right now, there is something investors should consider before going all-in on these financial commitments. Historically, at least in the 25 years back or so, when the Fed's increased rates that approach 6%, they have had to quickly lower them again to address economic hissy fits that subsequently occurred that were arguably brought about by such rates. There are differing opinions why such economic pullbacks occurred shortly after rates were jacked higher, but the charts don't lie. Historically, there has been a general downward direction in interest rates since about 1980, and every spike in rates was followed quickly by another drop. Each subsequent spike was lower than the previous one, and each reduction was also lower. These lower highs, followed by lower lows in interest rates, give us an indication that as overall economic debt levels have reached higher and higher amounts over time, interest rates have had to decline to lower and lower levels to service that debt. It makes total sense that as U.S. businesses and the government and consumers amass more debt, interest rates have to be lower and lower to be able to cover the interest rate payments. Not rocket science for sure. What is disturbing, at least to me, is that only one time in the last 50 years have rates been raised to where they are today. That period was July of 2008, when oil spiked to $145 a barrel, followed by spikes in many other commodities as well. Commodities are the things we make things that we use out of, like wheat and soybeans and plastic and the rest. The Fed's raised rates to about 6% or so to lower these prices and address the inflation back then, and the real estate and banking implosion soon followed thereafter. One could argue that the Fed and the rate increases they implemented back then were one of the major causes of the 08 calamity. The Fed raised rates back then, like I said, to address the rise in inflation, much like we have today. Fast forward to today, and inflation is once again raging. The Feds have also once again approached the same level of rates that they reached in July 2008, which is 
around 5 or 6%. Will the Feds break something in the banking sector or somewhere else in the economy if they indeed were part and party to the 2008 banking implosion by jacking rates so high back then? To this analyst, the familiarities in this setup are all too familiar and all too frightening. That said, if history repeats or even rhymes just a little bit, some sort of economic implosion may soon be upon us, and if that occurs, the Feds will have little choice but to drop rates once again. That means those nice juicy rates you see at your local bank may come down once again, and investors will be stuck with the near zero rate returns on their bank accounts, CDs, and the like, like we've been so accustomed to in the last 30 or 40 years. Foreseeing this possibility that rates may come down to the near zero levels once again that we've seen in the last couple of decades, investors might consider the various products that freeze today's rates well into the future and protect against the interest rate obliteration should it occur. Products that do this are out there. Seek out a financial professional to see your options and consider acting quickly. Once the Fed start to lower rates, the rates on those programs that freeze rates historically drop right along with them. In other words, get while the getting's good. That's it for today's Money Matters. If views and opinions are my opinions only, do not express the opinion of any registered investment advisor, bank, or this radio station staff members or underwriters. And is not a solicitation to buy or sell or a suggestion to buy or sell anything. I hold a BA in economics, 1979, with honors from San Diego State University and a licensed Medicare agent and California insurance agent in the state of California, license number OL34249. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Cunaberti. That's our newscast for this Tuesday, October 3rd. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from listeners like you, and Suns Development and the Alternative Resource Center, providing green building and emergency preparation products, including Berkey water filtration systems, simple hand pumps, wool insulation, as well as local plasters. Also offering bio-based paints and finishes. Idaho, Maryland Road, Grass Valley. SONSbuilding.com. And for Paws Animal Clinic, Dr. Susan Murphy and Sue Lester and staff are proud to support KVMR, providing medical, dental, alternative, and surgical services for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City. ForPawsAC.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening Newscast is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. Have a great night.